Hey guys, welcome to the Professional Development Podcast. Today's episode 99, we're gonna talk about the path to financial freedom. In it, we'll talk about the difference between assets and liabilities. We'll have some good quotes on financial literacy, wealth building, and financial freedom in general. Uh, and then we talk about budgeting, saving, uh, and really any area that we can uh, increase our net worth. So tune in, let us know what you think. Thanks. Cool. So we'll just hop right into uh, this episode 99, The Path to Financial Freedom. Uh, you guys want to kick it off with any quotes around uh, financial literacy, wealth building, or financial freedom? Sal? All right. So I had two. Uh, one was financial education is more valuable than money by some dude named Mac Duke. Okay. Author in it. What does that, hey, Sal, what does that mean to you? So I feel like to me, it's like if you're more knowledgeable on like the literacy and how whole financing work, it's better because then it will help you understand the value of money and be able to save money, which I feel like a lot of people don't really know or like when we like, Growing up, we it's a course that we probably needed more in high school, because like there's I'm sure there's like a lot of athletes or like individuals that like buy a credit card, don't realize to under understand the value of like being debt and paying off your payments. No one really knew about that in high school until they were like forced into it, you know. Or like what's the quote again? Financial education is more valuable than money. Mm. Yeah, it's true. You know, and that's why there's a, a lot of people in debt and uh, there's a lot of people that are nowhere near financial freedom. And uh, there's doctors, lawyers, like uh, more money doesn't necessarily solve the problem of like not having enough money for what you want, right? It's a financial education piece. I agree, Sal. Hey, great quote, buddy. Good job, Sal. Uh, I'll go. Uh, <laughs> this one is for every liability you have, you are somebody else's asset. If a home loan is a liability for you, it is an asset for your bank. Learn to control your cash flow. That quote is by Manaj Arora, uh, who wrote the book From the Rat Race to Financial Freedom. Um, and uh, I know that we'll probably talk a lot about a specific book on here, but uh, realizing that I have more, way more liabilities than I do have assets. Uh, and that quote just says to me, I need some, uh, need some more assets so I can have people start fucking paying me, yo. Yep. That's what I got. What you got, Matt? So I didn't even get to see who this was by, but this, because um, I was, you guys saw me scrambling for a quote, but um, no. it's really, really good and resonates with me a lot. It's being rich is having money, being wealthy is having time. So I am way, way, way more motivated by my freedom uh, than I am by money, which I'm motivated by money, but like, it doesn't matter. It's like, if I'm have to sit there and work like 80 hours a week for the rest of my life, I don't care how much fucking money you're paying me. Like I want to, I want to have the freedom to do whatever the fuck I want, whenever the fuck I want. So that time is more valuable of a currency than actual money is. I love that. That's actually something that, uh, whenever we interviewed Craig Curlop, uh, on, uh, the house hacking guy, uh, he talked a lot about having that freedom of time, uh, just being able to do what he wants when he wants. So uh, I love that. It's a good quote. Yep. So what do you, what is your personal, what are your personal definitions of financial freedom? 
So I, I did two. I did one uh, that was, I wrote before my Google search and then mm-hmm. after my Google search. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because I wanted the real, what they, what Google had the definition as. But uh, what I wrote down uh, for what for financial freedom means to me is just being able to do the things that I want to do without having to check my bank account. Also, um, basically having enough, I see it as having enough assets and making your money work for you so you could really work zero hours and still make money. Mm-hmm. So um, that's really what, financial freedom means to me. Yep. Love it. Sal, did you have one Salil? for uh, The first part of what Bobby says pretty oh, much good. I agree with. Yeah. yeah. Good Good idea. Okay. Way to be original. Matt? Cool. Uh, so <clears throat> to me, the more and more I'm looking into this, it's, it's when financial freedom to me is when all my assets combined pay for all my combined expenses and my lifestyle. Um, and so, and it, at the time, going back to that quote about, about time, um, it is truly passive. So I use real estate as an example. And this is like whenever people want to talk about getting into real estate, like this is a really, really cool and easy example that uh, that somebody told me that I've, I've told uh, plenty of people now. So let's say your total monthly expenses and by expenses, that's your house, your car, your groceries, your bills, all the fun stuff included, right? Um, There's $5,000 per month. So when you rent out a place, so when you buy an investment property, um, you got to make sure the rent that you're uh, charging covers the mortgage, insurance, tax, you know, general maintenance, property management fees, and you got to account for any type of vacancies that might happen. So basically, like you add all that up, right? And then you get whatever's excess is cash flow. So when you're doing your numbers right, typical cash flow on a house is $250 per month. So Basically, you take the total expenses and you divide that number by $250. So in this example, $5,000 a month divided by $250 gets, uh, I believe it comes down to 20. 20 rental properties is what you need in order to passively generate $5,000 and pay for everything that you need for the rest of your life. Hmm. So um, to me, um, yeah, to me, that's it. Like financial freedom. Um, it typically starts with how you manage your money. Um, but I would just say that if I eventually have assets that are outweighing any of my expenses then and I don't have to fucking work and I can do what I want, that's when I'm financially free. Love it. Yep. Math equations are difficult, but I, I was started to pick up what you were putting down. Yeah. So um, that being said, like I said, financial freedom starts with how you manage your money. Do you guys budget or do you have any systems in place to ensure that you're meeting your financial goals? So, in the beginning, I kind of had like a like a system. When was the beginning? Like right when I got out of college, I was like, okay, like the first job I had was through like SAP, a supply chain manager, through like a train station. Didn't really go out or any of that stuff. And then, like first paycheck, I'll use that as my budget. Second paycheck will go straight to my student loans, and I paid off my student loans two years. Nice. And then. Now I just have like car payments, but this is like now going out and then all the weddings that accumulated that I went to and I was in and the bachelor parties. I'm like, okay, I kind of need to revert back to what I used to do because <laughs> yeah, weddings are expensive. What's keeping you from uh, starting to save again and budget? Well, it's not keeping me. I'm just, I just got get get that mental part of like, you know, I like, all right, I need to revert back to my, the shit that I was used to, I'd be back to that. But also not going out every fucking weekends. 
probably a smart thing. I don't know if you're uh, capable you. of doing that. I'm going to be completely honest. I, I don't mean, know if I you don't can. mind. Like, like I don't mind staying in. It's just I don't. I hate to be like fucking challenged. Like, oh, like there'll be some friends that'll be like, quit being a little pussy and come out. And I'm just like, all right. <laughs> I love peer pressure so much. <laughs> I was so good at that. Whenever I was drinking, still, I would. You were just, one of them. I was. Yeah, I'm, I still am, kind of, yeah. on occasion. Uh, and then there's the fear of missing out. So I get it. That too. I get it, like a fear of missing out, but I feel like after like numerous times going on, it's like okay, I don't need to like do the same thing over and over. Well, it sounds like you got to break the streak because it sounds like you've been doing the same thing over and over again for a little bit, buddy. Yeah, so I'm kind of reverting back to it. It's, it's slow. Like this summer, I'm like, been going like, like one night, like like Fridays. I'm kind of staying in lately. Yeah, he says Fridays he's staying in, but he's also going out on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Okay, okay, trivia night does not count. <laughs> oh, but you still get loaded. For Anyways, what? I don't know. Maybe you get drunk still. I'm not sure. No, no. So anyways, what what budget, or so what were we saying? Sorry, do I have a budget in place? Um, so uh, a little bit over a year ago, I read the, actually it's almost been, it's probably a year and a half, maybe it's been closer to two years. Uh, I read The Compound Effect because of uh, Dan, because uh, of DG. He was he kept talking about that uh, compound effect by Darren Hardy. And uh, what stood out to me in that book, you know, one of those things where it's like, you can't take away everything from a book, but take the best, throw away the rest type deal. And my big nugget that I took away from that was setting aside $10 a day. And um, over the course of a year, you're going to save 3,650 bucks. And through my bank, you can't do daily direct deposits or withdrawals or whatever. Um, so you have to do set them up weekly. Uh, so I have 70 bucks that goes um, from my checking to my savings account on a weekly basis. So it's been nice just to see the savings mm -hmm. account grow over the last uh, over the last year and a half or so. Um, and then other than that, uh, just like budgeting, that's that's been one thing that has been tough for me. Like whenever I want to go get groceries, I just go get groceries. I don't think like, okay, my spending budget on groceries on a weekly basis is X amount of dollars um, because whenever it comes to, I know we're going to talk about it in a little bit, but especially food, that's one of my hardest things to budget for because to me, it's just so much easier to know what I want to eat instead of taking the time to prepare. So Budget could be stronger. Matt, how, how about you? What kind of strategies you got in place? You seem more organized than me and Sal. Um, I mean, probably, but not by much. Like, I, like budgeting is something that I've struggled with for a long time. Like, it's just so tedious. And I'm also, like, I, like, I don't like not being able to think in my head, not being able to do things. But, so there's, there's two... There's two schools of thought. What's up, Sal? So I, I was like, from previous episodes, I'm, I may need to like use your idea of like finding someone to budget your shit for you because you had your sister-in-law do it, right? So uh, yeah, way back in the day when yeah. I was like 30K in credit card debt um, and just fucking not making any money and bartending and moved back in my, with my mom. I was like, yeah, somebody, somebody help me out here. So <laughs> Good so memory, my, Sal. Sorry. So I was like, yeah, six or seven years ago, my sister-in-law helped me out because it, if you do that, you want someone that's going to really be able to hold you accountable. But there's two schools of thoughts here whenever um, looking into budgeting. One is like the Dave Ramsey approach, which is literally like live off beans and rice and track every fucking cent. Uh, and um, basically until you're completely debt-free. Um, now the whole debt-free thing, like Dave Ramsey has like a different school of thought than a lot of people. I don't think he's necessarily tailored for people trying to get like rich, right? Um, I do agree with him, like tracking 
your like basically down to the dollar. I would love, love, love to be like that, but I'm not that way. So what I do is I set up automation. So a guy named Ramit Sethi had a book called I Will Teach You To Be Rich. And in it, uh, and you don't even have to read the book for us, you can just Google it. There's a, a conscious spending plan that basically puts your income into four categories. So it's fixed costs, investments, saving goals, and guilt-free spending. So the, the uh, percentages vary. Right, and you do what you're comfortable with. But he's like, you can be rich if you can just make sure you're saving 10% of your paycheck every fucking month, it, minimum 10%. Right, ideally 20% or even more. Like once you get to a certain point, but there's like a 20 to 30% guilt-free spending piece. So his goal is like, hey, don't fucking track every. You don't have to track every fucking thing you do and down to the cent. Like you said, it's like, oh, should I go? Like I'm at the grocery store. Do I need to go to the organic? brand or can I just do I just need to go the the budget brand but um his thing is like basically like cut mercifully like mercilessly actually on like the things that you don't give a fuck about right so find out what you really don't care about and what you're spending too much on and then cut back on that and then spend frivolously on the things that you do like like if you like vacations if you like going out to eat like whatever that is like do that shit and don't feel bad about it find the shit that you don't care about and then cut back that. To me, that was way more realistic. Oh, and the th number one thing was pay yourself first, which is like all the finance people tell you to do that. So it's like automating. Automation is the key that's helped me like keep track of stuff because it's like I know exactly how much is going into a real estate account and a long-term savings and a short-term savings um, every single month because I don't even look at it, right? And then the more money I make, the more I will up, I'm supposed to up at least, I don't always, uh, but the more money you up those percentages or up that automation, and it's like you don't even realize that the money's coming out because it's just natural. Like it's just already in your bank account. So I think, Sal, you should probably rethink all of those uh, girls that you subscribe to on OnlyFans. That's probably not a good thing that you should keep doing. What? I don't follow any. Do you have OnlyFans accounts? No. Have you ever had one? Damn. Well, do Bob, think, do you think he's lying? I think he's telling the truth. He's why, been pretty honest. Why would I lie about that? Oh, fuck. I don't know. You don't want to be embarrassed. You have people that listen to the podcast. Why would I I'm pay sure. someone to see someone's picture if I could go take them out on a date and then try? Damn. Fucking confidence. So now this guy is on the level of the moon. So wait. So now, so you're saying you pay them in person to show you their tips? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. Okay, so let's jump into uh, is debt good or bad? Uh, and when should you focus on paying down debt ASAP versus like the minimum payments that you might have? I'm the wrong person to talk to about this because I've only had bad debt in my opinion uh, where I feel like the, the good debt is leveraging <clears throat> it to buy things that you know you can make a profit on in the future yeah. uh, where a lot of my debt is totally different. Sal, what is up with you pointing just wanting to <laughs> fucking talk today? I swear to fucking God. <laughs> well, but yeah, anyways, no, shut okay. the fuck up for a second. So yeah, that's that's the bad debt and or that's the good debt. The bad debt is using it like a credit card for consumer purchases like clothing, cars, anything that depreciates essentially. So Sal, go ahead. What do you have to say? Well, so from previous episode, a good... Uh, Example of the, the good point. debt that you're talking about was what Sam Prim was talking about, about how he used that debt into buying houses mm -hmm. and then influx. Okay, and then I'll stop talking because Brad's being... Uh, Bob is being... I'm just smiling at you, so, face. No, but you're right. Um, so the um, basically debt is bad when it isn't working for you, right? So what you were talking about with Sam Prim, it's like if you're using other people's money 
to buy an asset, meaning something that's going to make you money, um, then yeah, then that's that's good debt. And if people are already paying off your mortgage and you're also cash flowing that, then you shouldn't be worried about paying that off as quickly as possible. Um, now, when you're looking at things like maybe your personal house or maybe uh, student loans, like that could be a different story because technically your personal house is not normally is not a uh, an asset, right? An asset is defined as something that's economically benefiting you. So here's what I've like, and I'm not a financial guru um, by any means, um, but I basically based off my own research and talking to people, the rule of thumb is if my interest rate on my debt is less than the return I'm getting on the market average for what I'm saying for this. So like, let's let's just look at the real estate market. So 30-year average return in the stock market, no, sorry, not the real estate market, stock market, where people put most of their retirement into or long-term investments, 30-year uh, average is 10.66%, right? So it's like, if I have, and then when you actually factor like inflation, you you know subtract about 3% of that. So whenever you take it out, it's at about 7% return uh, year over year for 30 years. If I got a house that's at 2.5 interest rate, right? I don't necessarily want to like work my ass off to pay that house off first, right? Because it's like my interest rate is so low that the returns I'm going to be getting in the market are going to be better than what I'm taking a hit on for my house, okay? Now, student loans, let's say you're at like a, you know, a 7% interest rate or 6%, whatever that is. It's like, maybe that's something where it would net out in the long term, right? It net out even, and then maybe just peace of mind, you just want to get out of your, your debt for that. So that it's kind of a wash, but it's just really matter of preference. So um, yeah, I'll just kind of leave that one at that. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can look at debt, but if debt is work, if you're leveraging debt and debt is working for you, then that's good debt. And if somebody's paying off that mortgage for you and there's a bunch of tax advantages, then no need to rush to pay it off. Cool. Cool beans. Cool. Uh, difference between an asset and a liability. Oh, man, I thought of nothing but sports whenever I saw this question because you hear someone say that's like someone who's an asset to the organization, right? Like that like backup quarterback that you can't like you can't get rid of, like a Chase Daniel. Like he's an asset because you know if that starting quarterback's gonna go down, you have a solid backup there. Dude, he's been making bank. Though. He's been making bank. Uh and then a liability is might be someone who's got a fat contract but is constantly hurt. I think of like a Sam Bradford whenever he was a Heisman Trophy winner at Oklahoma. And then I think if you look at the money that he's made uh, whenever he was in the NFL, uh, I mean, he was a liability to teams. They well, had to part pay him of that so much. was uh, when we drafted him, it was like the old rookie system where they put a bunch of the money into your number one draft picks. But then after Bradford's here, they finally came to their senses where they restructured the whole rookie contracts and gave like a, like a decent yearly breakdown of like how much a first round should make, second round should make, a third round should make. Because of what happened with Bradford. Uh, but majority of that Bradford situation was like, we fucked up. We didn't build off like offensive line to protect him. And that was a huge liability on our end. I also think he was just made of glass. But anyways, yeah. So that's how I see assets and liabilities. Um, yeah. You just got people that are good for the for things that are good for you, things that are good for an organization. Then you have things that are a hindrance and are going to bring down the team. And that's, that's how I see assets and liabilities. Mm. How about you? MK. So although we're talking about like financial freedom, financial literacy, and that had nothing to do with financial freedom or literacy. But it, I, but it I, does. I, I, I actually like that analogy a lot. 
So I think that there's assets and liabilities in everything that you do. Um, I think so just the, the, the basic term, like an asset provides an economic benefit, right? Li- liability takes money out of your pocket. I think you can look at that from a, um, you know, the idea of a sports team. I think you can look at uh, that from the idea of like a relationship, right? Like how much is this person taking away from me or are they adding to me? Are they building me up? Whether it's a personal or professional relationship. Um, and then at the, at the retreat we were on, we were talking about like honesty and transparency. And it's like, even like you can be this uh, person that's like not, not unethical and not a liar, but we, it's very easy to lie to ourselves. Right. Or it's very easy to say, like say a text in a way that it's like, it's not a lie, but it doesn't make them think about like what we actually did mm-hmm. or how we actually went about that. So right? like gaslighting? Or? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a, di- a bunch of different ways that you can, you can put it, but it's like, like let's say, like it's just when you're, I don't even have an example on me right now, but it's just like we can talk to people in a way that's manipulative to make them think that we did something that we didn't actually fully do, right? For sure. So, and we all do it, right? We've all done it. Like it's it's just kind of human nature uh, to avoid whatever pain might come from that. But um, we started talking about transparency and being vulnerable and all this other shit. And then somebody said, he's like, when you're not being your true authentic self, right? You're a liability. He's like, when you are your true, authentic, genuine self, the more you are, the more you are an asset, the more you become an asset. So I like that. So I did like I did like your analogy, even though it necessarily wasn't finance related, you can relate assets and liabilities to any area, yeah. like, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, um, I really just had one more question here. And this is something that it's like, um, again, I'm reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Like, this is a book that I'm really trying to take to heart in terms of building long-term wealth. So, um, should you invest in cash flow or capital gains? So, I uh, I actually had to do a little bit of research on this because I just started diving into this with uh, reading uh, Craig Kerlop's book. But um, the way that I understand it is like. If you're investing in more, and let me know if I'm off on this, but if you're looking for more capital gains, it's you're not necessarily going to have a lot of them. Like you're investing typically a larger dollar amount, it seems like if you're investing for capital gains, whereas cash flow, you're it's easier to get into the game. Like where like I see like the house, like just, and let me know if I'm wrong on this, but if you're going the house hacking strategy, like Craig Curlop did, you're, you're trying to create a cash flow system. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas capital gains, it might be, it's probably a bigger investment, but you don't have as much maybe liquid assets to, to basically fuck with and uh, be able to pay for different repairs and things like that. It's a, at least that's the way that I understood it. So, so the, go go ahead. Ahead. I was, I was just going to say the thing for me, like where I'm at being at kind of scratch, um, I feel like it wouldn't make sense for me to go like for a capital gain strategy approach in an investment in an, in an asset. Whereas I think for me and maybe a lot of people that are where I'm at, you start off with more of a cash flow strategy and then work your way to bigger capital gains. So, so there's uh, a, a lot to like dissect from that, but basically capital gains is just a profit um, of the sale of real estate or some type of investment. So that's capital gains. And so it's like, I want to buy this place to fix and flip it, right? And then I get a lot more cash up front. So it's like in the, in the real estate game, it's like if you can buy a place, fix and flip, it takes a little bit of time, right? But um, you could probably make anywhere from 30 to 60 plus thousand dollars on that one thing. Right. So 
the cash flow is I'm going to buy this property, I'm going to sit on this property, I'm going to rent it out. And like I said, all the expenses of the house, that you take that minus, uh, subtract whatever rent you're getting, the uh, extra cash is your cash flow in there. So, so what I'm reading in Rich Dad Poor Dad is like the capital gains piece is can be a gamble, right? Like if you buy something, uh, just hoping it goes up in appreciation just to sell it, right? You don't know 100% it's going to go up. Um, but also you got to pay a lot more on taxes for, you know, there's capital gains tax. So you're paying it like the highest tax rate possible. So the idea of cash flow is that Sam Prim model a little bit, use other people's money, um, have someone rent it out, take home the excess cash flow. Um, and then the bonus is eventually down the road, like it's a long-term play, like you can still use capital gains, but why, and this is, this is not like, hundred percent, like this is just like facts that cash flow is better than capital gains. You talk to any real estate investor, they'll tell you something different. Um, but the idea here is the rich dad poor dad model is like what I told you. Okay, how can I build up my cash flow so that eventually it'll exceed what my salary is or what my money is that I'm making at my job, so I don't have to do my fucking job anymore. And that's passively building up. Uh, money so that I don't have to fucking work or I can do what I want to do, do marketing, do you know public speaking or whatever the fuck I want to do. So those are the big differences. And then at the end of the day, you have that cash flow. And then the biggest thing, like I said, you can, you can go for capital gains because eventually you'll sell that, right? If you have 20 houses over 30 years, they're all going to appreciate and they're, they're all paid off. Well, all of a sudden you have 20 houses worth $100,000 each. That's 2 million in the bank, right? At minimum. Right, so it'll go up in, in value. So that's the whole idea of that. I like it. Yeah, it's interesting. I the article that I read on this has different people who are property investment educators, authors, mortgage brokers, um, like company directors, CEOs who have different opinions whether they think cash flow is greater than the capital growth, capital growth greater than cash flow. And then there's people that are split down the middle saying you can't have one without the other. So sounds like, I mean, you can't go wrong either way. It's just a matter of probably where you're at in, yeah. your, in your life and, and how much you can afford to invest. Yeah, there's people on both. There's 100% people on both sides of the fence. Um, I am more of, which is interesting. I, yeah, I think there's both, right? So I'm, but I'm definitely more of, I want to build the long-term, like let me build my cash flow up as much as possible and then have all this fucking you know, money basically like in liquid or not liquid, but basically money invested in these properties. So if I want to sell off or I want to like refi cash out on them, then I can do that. Love it. Cool. Uh, we're running on time. Um, if you guys are getting any type of value of the podcast, please share the podcast, uh, write us a review and um, follow us on Instagram if you have any questions. Otherwise, we will talk to you next week, which is episode 100. Later. See ya.